Yeah, also, I won't tell you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you know, what is the truth? Yeah, they haven't had the people. They haven't had the Why combination. Why can't they get the people into this team? Well, it starts with the people selecting the players. Did you and, ever coach? And no. What, do you no. think you'd be a good one? Yes. Why would I do? You do that? In fact, I had the conversation with Lou Holtz. I don't know if you know who Lou Holtz is. Lou was a wonderful coach. He came in from college and tried to coach professional football, right. the New York Jets, and realized that that wasn't his cup of tea. You know, the professional animal in pro sports is different than the collegiate animal. Is it because the team upper management doesn't know how to let a coach do his thing? Are they overly controlling? Uh, I'm not sure. It varies from team to team. Upper management comes into play big time. I like Jerry Jones out there and his style. A lot of people don't like it, but he took the reins out there. So in other words, yeah. when Bob Kraft, let, well, whatever he's doing with Brady and, uh, and uh, uh, Belichick, whatever he's doing, whether it's hands off or whatever, it's that three of them somehow communicate the right way. And they know their lane and how to stay in it. And the Jets don't have that. Well, the Jets, I hope, get it. But meantime, going back to Jerry Jones, he was a football player himself at Arkansas. He understood the game some. Now, getting Coach Belichick away from the Jets, by the way. Which he was, was the bonehead move. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, Bill made that decision. Yeah. You, yeah, know, yeah. you know, he was. Uh, but maybe he didn't like what was going on there. In that front office. Yes. Right. Uh, well, that's true. And he liked it better maybe up in that uh, New England area than down here in the big city. But we disagree <laughs> with him on yeah. that point. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, I think they made it to the playoffs twice since you, which, which, which brings us to why this book is important and why you're important to the sport. And I don't think I'm blowing smoke up your ass when I tell you this. I mean, you've heard it a million times. Let's go back to Super Bowl three, NFL, AFL. They're not merged. Uh, the Jets were seen as sort of loserish, secondary. There was no talk of merger after you win that Super Bowl and you put the Jets on the map. You're putting more than the Jets on the map. You're putting the AFL on the map. And didn't that force the merger of these two these two f opposing football uh, franchises? It did. Uh, there was uh, the first two games between the two leagues. The Green Bay Packers won. They beat right. Kansas City, and they beat. And Packers were sensational, right? And then you know you. you you lose three times, and excuse me. So there was pressure on the AFL on our team to represent uh, the league. Otherwise, uh, you know, where are you going to go? But people have said, you know, every time you sign your paycheck and all this other stuff, you should thank Joe Namath because that elevated the whole damn sport, right? You know what, Howard? And Joe has more thankfulness. I'm thanking the rest of life because I wouldn't be anywhere without the people that I came across. I had determination. I had ability. But football is a team game. I, I just mentioned Archie Manning a while back, right? right. You don't have the pieces. You're not going to get it done. You don't have the teachers that care, the mentors. You're not going to learn. Was it hard for you, though, when, when you signed with the Jets? You were making way more money than the typical football player. They knew they had to have you. They wanted you. I think it was like a $420,000 contract. Am I, do I have the number right? You're close, yeah. Yes. For a couple of years. So when you're making so much more money than the rest of your teammates, do they look at you at, with, with envy and maybe some uh, jealousy? Are they cruel to you? Are they ridiculing of you in some way? Because... 
They've got to just sit there and go, I'm not, you know, football players back then didn't make a lot of money. You did. Did that separate you from your teammates? You know, every locker room has a whole lot of different characters in them. That's right. And a lot of them didn't like me from the start. Right. And that I already understood that. I'd been in locker rooms at Alabama where I didn't understand where they were coming from till we learned about one another. What does that mean, uh, you didn't understand where they were coming from? Well, Race? segregation. Yeah. yeah, segregation to start with. I didn't even know about that. I wasn't educated about segregation. I'm from Western PA, you know. You you had a, uh, I think I have this right, at Alabama, you go there and you talk about race. Was your nickname the N-word? It started out, yes. Uh, one of the guys on the team called me, uh, yes. The N-word. Yeah, and it's even hard to say to now people take offense to it. But honky, but, yeah. look, guys are honky or white or blacky or nigger, whatever. You right. know, those are names, man. Right. You know, right. it's the way it's said. It's the way it's intended to me. If a guy is, is rude, he can say something else, and, but I don't like him being rude. So the guys in Alabama called you that because they saw a picture. Of you at a prom or something. Well, yeah. And there was a, a black woman and a white woman with you. And someone said, hey, is that your girlfriend? And you go, yeah, the white woman was your girlfriend. But he assumed you date black women. So, therefore, back then, when you were da- accused of dating a black woman, your nickname becomes the N-word. Yeah, well. And people are saying it openly. You know, that was just one of co- two guys uh, that did that. And they were upperclassmen. And they were real... Uh uh jerks you might say yeah i think coach bryant uh told these guys some things or two or how to treat guys some other other areas of pennsylvania and i question what i learned howard is these guys whenever went through their four years with these guys five years and i go back that's like a second home i don't like the idea of how people are biased and but that's right. it it starts at home and we said this earlier those teammates of mine that's all they knew Right. They were brought up at home with their parents Where and they their neighborhood. It. That's right. right. And that, that's all. I mean, Yankee, we're playing, I'm playing my first freshman game against Auburn down there and the middle linebacker stuff. You were so and so Yankee man and I MF'd him back and forth. And I said, <laughs> tell you what, right at the line of scrimmage, man. By the way, <laughs> by the way, I do want to say I prefer the name Broadway Joe as to the N word. The N word? Yes, yes, yeah. I truly do. And you know, that comes from what we were talking about earlier with the Jets. The ownership was great with the Jets then. A man named Sonny, or David A. Sonny Werblin, I tell you what, the league owed him a whole lot. He literally said stars sell tickets. In sports, you weren't allowed to be a star. Right. You weren't allowed to, I did it, man, we did, you know. But you had that, you had that understanding early on, like, you know, the fur coats and the uh, outrageousness, and you were, you, you, I mean, I remember as a kid looking at you and going, man, that guy's like a, He's cocky. You know, it's almost like what Muhammad Ali knew. He knew he had to be a bit of a professional wrestler. You know what I mean? He he would imitate those guys and get 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 box office for his boxing. You had that. How did you know how to do that? How did you know how to set yourself, especially in a sport where you're not supposed to be a star? You know, thanks for mentioning Muhammad. <laughs> I loved him. He was terrific. You knew him? Yes, absolutely. On a personal uh, level. Yes, yes. How'd you get to meet him? Uh, we were opening. I was a part of a fast food restaurant called Broadway Joe's. We're getting ready to open on the 79th Street Causeway. It's the very first day, and I go in there with the owners. There's a guy sitting back in the corner by himself. There aren't any other customers in there. 
Let him look. Let him look. That's Cassius Clay. Oh, man. So I went on back there and I said, hey, man, how you doing? Because, you know, <laughs> he had already beaten Sonny Liston. I right. listened on the radio. Right. You know, we didn't have didn't television. Have me too. I remember those fights I listened to <laughs> yeah. on the radio. Yeah. And we started right off then and it was wonderful. Yeah. Wow. So as I mentioned, uh, the cocky was not the Did word. you hang out with him? Well, Did no, you? not hang out. We were in a same area a lot of time we were together a lot parties, of times he's like held that. my daughter in his arms you know wow parties no i no, no, not parties it was more work and uh away from work private work you know memorabilia shows uh tv shows right and you uh, run into dick shap and i hosted the show you know we had muhammad on with george right. siegel which uh, was a wonderful time. You talk about a show business career. You used to fill in for Johnny Carson. That was a that big happened. deal. Yeah, it was, and I didn't know it at the time. You know, I had no. I had no idea. You just taking it all You know, there's. A, do you did you get nervous before a game, or are you one of those rare individuals that doesn't? It seems to me to be a great quarterback. You got to be loose as a goose. You have to learn, or you should learn along the way that it's great to have the adrenaline flowing, the urgency in the system to be quick, but efficiently. Right. Uh, you know, getting on stage, theater, whatever, you know, you love that feeling of getting ready to perform, man, and you don't have a negative vibe about it at that point. But yeah. early on, you do. So when you would host The Tonight Show, the biggest show in television, uh, and filling for Johnny Carson... You weren't feeling the pressure that, let's say, a comedian would feel because you 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 were like on top of the world, I guess, right? I, I didn't have enough sense to feel. And Freddie DeCordova, the, the gentleman that was running, running the, the show, show yeah. yeah, and Ed Sullivan, they were so nice. I had been on the show before, and I got to know those guys, so they gave me enough confidence to be there because I knew that they were right there and they would help lead. Was it more terrifying doing like a movie when you did C.C. Ryder, for example? Who was Ann Margaret was in that? Yes, and oh, she. Oh. I tell were you, you ever were you ever romantic with her? No, she was with Roger Smith her entire life. Oh, her, wow. I mean, Roger and you she probably tried were wonderful. Though. No, no, no. I've got a basic health rule. <laughs> What's that? A basic health <laughs> rule that I learned when I was about 10 years old. Uh, a buddy of mine and I were walking up the 7th Street. We heard some yelling and two guys are running down the street and the guy in the back shoots a gun and knocks the other guy down. It ended up that was my buddy's father that had the gun. Oh, dear. And uh, the guy that he shot had messed, messed around with his wife. Right. You didn't need Roger Smith shooting you in the back with, uh, yeah. At college. High school, I, I from that day on, I always look. If I see a lady, I'm looking at that finger to start <laughs> second <laughs> That's to third. A good rule. I hope you put uh, that in sec, the book. Second to third or so, I'm looking at that, at that ring. Yeah, never mind that football. Finger <laughs> That's a lesson. I don't want to give a dude a, a reason to come looking for me. No. And I wouldn't want somebody messing with my girl. Right. I had a girl in college. It's the bro a Girlfriend. Yes. And man, I went over to the dorm to see her, and she was talking to a guy out there in the street and i got such a feeling inside jealous it was awful right um no i i, I so oh, i thought it was legend you had a girlfriend in college because i always thought that it, the, what i had heard was that you had over 300 women while you were in college you know i marveled at will chamberlain and, and, <laughs> and those numbers you racked up a thousand numbers yeah right so, thousand, you, know, numbers you told playboy i think it was i think it was you told playboy you had 300 sexual conquests by the time you left college 
I mean, you love the ladies. I You're did, a man. But I wish I did. It's not true. That's I got to be out of so context. So you want to go on record and say you were exaggerating? I, I want to tell you I tried hard. I tell you that. And I did not keep any count, of course, but it wasn't like... You well, know. you're a good-looking guy. You were the star football player. I mean, you're on top of the world. You know, I mean, women are attracted to that. Let's face it. One of the toughest things I ever had to do. Now, this girl and I started dating when I was a freshman. She was a year older than me. She was a sophomore. And when I had to leave to come to play football in New York. Yeah, you left college early, right? I had to. No, 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 I didn't graduate in the four years. I go back to get the degree. But whenever I had to leave, she wanted to come with me. And I had to stand on. I was standing right there on the sidewalk. And I had to tell her, I got to go to work. Right. You know, I, I didn't know love the way it's supposed to be if you're going to take on a partner for the rest of your life or to start a family. That That's not where I was coming from. There's no way you know that. There was something more important, and that was <laughs> I had to go to work, man. Right. I had to earn this thing, and I could not take her. And to see her go through what she went through emotionally right there, and, and I just, that was, it was a tough thing. You do you go on? Do you ever go on Facebook and look up some of these women you dated back then, like to see what they look like now? I went to one reunion back home in high school, and that was twenty plus years ago or thirty years ago. And scared it's a real me, doesn't it? Because I mean, like you look, you know, you look good. You know what I mean? I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, you look, you look vibrant and all this. Yeah. You, what did he see when you, he went yeah, home? Yeah. You when you see some aged, yeah, yeah, aged, yeah, yeah. you know, the instrument. We take care of the instrument. And yes. Some people don't learn that enough, and. If we're lucky enough, we realize that we need to maintain the instrument. I, in an acting lesson, uh, one of the teachers that I was working with was talking, about, referred to us, the body, the mind, as an instrument to convey yes. a message. And I said, instrument. I never had a coach call me. <laughs> My body, an instrument, you know. But it is. And it started me thinking, yeah, I need to take care of this instrument. Were you a superstitious guy? What I mean by that is you talk about your instrument. When you are, you know, I know you're into the number 12 and, you know, there's certain things and this and that. But I'm saying when you have a body and you are a master, a master athlete, this throwing of the football, able to read a defense on the fly, whatever the hell it is that that all these mechanisms are going at once. Rapid eye movement is moving around. I mean, you're seeing the whole field. Do you become superstitious about that instrument? Oh my God, don't go near my arm. Don't shake my hand too hard. Don't do this. Don't do that. Is it, is it excruciating to stay in, in, in that kind of, um, mental state? I always lace my shoes right over left. All right. I'm not superstitious though. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> no, you I, are. I've literally gone out of my way to walk under a ladder just to prove to myself I'm not superstitious. But, but when I hurt my knee the first time, Howard, yeah, I didn't tape my shoes white. Right. I did not tape my shoes. That day, there was a bunch of people from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania that came down to watch us play. I got discombobulated locker room. I went out without putting that on. You used to tape your shoes white. That was unheard of back then, right? Yes. Why did you tape them white? They looked good for one thing, but I had an old pair of shoes, and they felt better. I taped them around there. I like the look, because when I went back to high school, I look at a baseball pitcher, and even in the book, I had white shoelaces, and everybody else had black ones. There was a side of me that wanted to be a little different. Right. Now, Bob Oates Jr. and I did a book uh, together, and I the title I gave it was A Matter of Style. 
It's a person, you know, it, it dawned them, it's my style, it's their style, it's your style. But, Life is a matter of style. But isn't this a little bit of the Muhammad Ali in you? You said, hey, if I have white shoes and everybody else is wearing black shoes, they'll notice me. I'm, I'm out there, I want to be a bit of a star on my own. Yes, and so what's the big deal if you can do the work, if you can do the job, if right. you can play, you know, yeah. So when you hurt your knee, is it a superstitious thing? I'll never tape my shoes white? That was, that no. God was punishing me or I something? I forgot to tape them. That's wow. what it is. I, I, I always did afterwards, you I see. see. And when I got here with the Jets, I went into the locker room one day, and there's white shoes in my locker. Didn't have to tape many more. They were white. Right. And that's whenever, uh, we started, they started making white shoes. Well, the, la the first four years or so, everyone else still had black shoes. First three years, but yeah, I, I like the white. Look at these guys now. Probably if you were playing now and you started wearing white shoes and everyone was wearing black shoes, you would have gotten a big deal from Nike. They would have made the Joe Namath shoe, the whole thing. I mean, you, you know how much money we could have been on the table because sports has uh, changed, hasn't it? Uh, oh, yeah, and that's the constant we have, change. Yeah. You see, I have to tell, I think to myself and people, like my daughter's family, whatever, we get tied up with something, I say, hey, change is constant. Yeah. Let's hope we're changing for the better. Nothing sits still. You know, you either fall behind, even a stone, you know, just sitting there, it's weathering. It's changing. Do you think, uh, in a way, now, again, I think this is another reason you're a great football player. Your mental state. Most of these guys now, they go, I can't drink before a game. I can't go out all night before a game. I can't have sex before a game. You know, there's all these rules and things. You took the attitude, hey, I want to have sex before a game. You, you legendarily flaunted it. You said, I like to have sex before a game. You legendarily would go out till three in the morning, the the, the, the night of the, the Super Bowl three, since that's what the book is around. Are you out partying the night before the Super Bowl? Were you that relaxed about life? I mean, on the one hand, you're the guy who takes care of the instrument. And on the other hand, you were just kind of pissing on the instrument, right? You know, uh, our coach, Weeby Bank. Yeah. Prior to going to Miami for the championship game, told us we're not changing anything, fellas. We're going to keep behaving. The way we have that got us here doing the things that got us here. Right. So. <laughs> what got you there? So we all, the my teammates that had wives took their wives. You know, Coach Eubank is, we're going to treat it like any other week. And we did. And uh, it worked, you know. Yeah, because when I read about Babe Ruth, you know, this guy <laughs> would go out and eat 50 hot dogs before he pitched the game or whatever the hell yeah. he was doing because he was a pitcher originally. And he would, he would, he would eat 50 hot dogs. He would have sex with multiple women before. The guy was, in other words, the game was still sort of just the game. It wasn't like this weird, paranoid thing that you couldn't do anything. You had to lock yourself in the room. Yeah. And in a way, you're like, I don't think you're old school. That's how you did it. That's how you approached it. You know, all these other things, aside from sex. Now, sex is healthy. Right. All right. Yeah. Let's say that that's not going to interfere. With your performance, doesn't sap your energy. Enhance things, yeah. Relax. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you're in a better frame of yes, mind yes. by far, sure. But the other things, the alcohol or drugs or whatever, you learn. You've got a responsibility to your teammates, right? You've and they can see you. They can tell, and you learn that that responsibility is 
very important. It's important to me that my man is ready to go. But when you were playing ball, you would go out till three in the morning, right? Well, you were there drinking. were a few times, yeah. yeah, but that was early on even, you know, rookie, because of some of the other veterans in training camp would do it, you know, and right. I was like a little puppy young guy running around here in the city. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, uh, I described <laughs> myself years ago as a little puppy dog. You see our little puppy dogs trying to go everywhere. That was me, man. Because the city, the lights, the Broadway Joe, I mean, it was like, oh, my God, uh, it's a playground for adults. It was wonderful. That's Dangerous. right. Where did you live in? The, did you live in the city? Started out on 86th and 2nd and 76th and 1st and uh, then over to 82nd between Madison and 5th. Was and it crazy? Like after you won the Super Bowl, like could you walk out anywhere? Like could you just leave your apartment and uh, take a stroll down to Central Park or something? Or would that be crazy to think of the fame that way? Things changed, yeah. Howard. In 65, my rookie year, I was lonely. I was walking 2nd Avenue by myself looking around, man. I, 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 I was, I, I was lonely. I, maybe I missed my girlfriend back in uh, Alabama. That was part of it. I didn't, they didn't know me. I'd go into a bar, a nightclub, just like a regular dude. Nobody, you know, you didn't get a pat on the back or right. a handshake or a smile. Right. And, uh, your girl would have moved come. to New York to be with you or you didn't oh, want yeah. to? Oh, she yeah. would have. Yeah. Yeah. You never married her. You never thought no. about it. No. Did you think that, that, that insecurity and loneliness, you would have just said, honey, please, let's get married and, and be with me. I had an eye for other ladies. Right. And you see, I knew that I couldn't be true. Right. And that, uh, I that's didn't very honest to. of you. Well, it's a fact. I know. And, and, but, and when I was married, I behaved that way. I did not look around. In the 13 and a half years I was married, I was loyal. I didn't mess around with anybody else. Right. But uh, that, uh, hey, you treat people the way you want to be treated that this is part of it. I wouldn't want her running around about when she was talking to that guy in front of the dorm and my chest started burning in my stomach, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it's lucky you were honest about that because the lonely guy in you could have said, I'm going to get married. And then the, the womanizer or the guy who wants to go out and, you know, be with other women says, uh, oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll worry about that after I get married. You, you know? know, the lonely part was only after practice, you know, coming back to the city, not knowing anybody. You know, I, I had a, a dear friend, Joe Hirsch, my first roommate. Mr. Hirsch was, uh, a turf writer, first president of American Turf Writers Association, by the way, won a couple of Eclipse Awards himself. He was wonderful. He took me around to the city and introduced me to places, but he had to go out on the road to different racetracks yeah. during the season. And I was left alone. And, you know, I, I just didn't know anybody. Going <laughs> to practice, that was home. Boy, I was right there at home with the team and the players. But coming into the city and not having a roommate at the time, uh, it was it was a lonely thing. Your relationship to alcohol, I assume it started more because of the intense pain in your body with your knees. I would assume. No, no. I would have always thought that that like, hey, yes, you're out partying. You're in New York. It's, you know, three o'clock in the morning and everyone's feeling great. But it wasn't that. My grandpa gave me my first drink when I was about six years old. A shot of rock and rye. He was drinking. Uh, oh he my. came down from Ohio. Just six sip, years old. Yeah. Just a sip. You know, just <laughs> a little. It just gave me a little sip and I tasted it. And then uh, you see the adults. It's like smoking. You want to mimic the adults or the guys older than you. You know, you see them drinking beer or drinking seven and seven, whatever shots. And you go through and you get in high school. You know, if it's taboo, you're underage. You can't have it. You want it. You know, you're right. Uh, growing up, 
my parents didn't drink. It never even occurred to me to drink. I'd hear about people going to beer parties and co- when I was in college, they were drinking. I didn't even know from it. You know, in a way, if you're exposed to it, I guess, if it's part of your culture, you think, okay, this is the thing. And also with football, drinking goes along, right? I mean, because you're part of a team. That's the best. Oh. That's the part I envy in football. You know, you got bros. Howard, I never saw my father drunk. My mother never drank. My dad would drink a shot of whiskey after work. They'd go into a bar. They'd right. have a beer and a shot of whiskey, and then he'd come <laughs> home and go to sleep after the steel oh, mill. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It's yeah. a tough day. Boilermakers, yeah. you right. know. It's a, but I'd go bowling with him when I was a kid, and they'd have a shot after each game or whatever. But when we got to high school, you know, uh, yeah, you wanted to sneak some wine, or you wanted it, yeah. it, it and uh, sugar. Our most addictive legal substance. Yes. Sugar. What did you love to drink? What was your thing? I had everything. Everything. I mean, I had everything. Uh, what did I like to drink? I switched. There's a saying, I, I, I like my Johnny Walker red and my women blonde, you know. That, but <laughs> yeah. but I, grew, I, I grew out of that, I want you to know. Redheads are fine, too. They and are, okay, yes, okay. They're all- when you were coming up and, and you were doing your thing, that was also, I mean, you're talking about the height of the hippies and the drug culture. Wonderful. And, uh, right? Wonderful. Wonderful. Wasn't it wonderful? I, was, I, taped, I taped Woodstock three weeks ago, man. <laughs> yeah. Again, it came on. It's a whoa. Why was Joe Namath not at Woodstock? So we were practicing. <laughs> yeah. We were practicing. We were in camp. When you get we famous, football. Though, aren't you able to sort of uh, hang out with some really famous people? That's got to be kind of yeah, cool you know, for I, a, a kid who grew up the son of a of a steel mill worker. You know, I, seeing seeing Woodstock again brought back a, a Stephen Stills. Oh, all right, he's not the best. I'm in Lenox Hill Hospital in '65, getting my knee operated on for the first time. In comes this dude. Hey, yo. Steve Steele, yeah. Oh, uh, I went to LSU, man. You know, <laughs> he's in, I'm from he was Alabama. A, he was a LSU. fan. Yes, he was LSU guy. Wow. And he was a Tiger, and I knew I was Alabama Crimson Tide, and we started talking then. Most un, uh, most underrated guitar player, I think, and and songwriter is Steven Stills. Oh man, man. He, he was absolutely wonderful. Did and, you get to hang with those people? I mean, during the hippie era, did, did you ever get into anything heavier than alcohol, or are you sort of out of that whole scene? Did you ever get into pot and LSU? and all this other stuff not locked in uh right. tried things uh right. but not lsd i was always coke uh, i had to yeah so you know if you're with the lady sometimes blame it on somebody else here i am blaming it on <laughs> it's somebody the lady's fault. i didn't Smart. come up with it it's somebody the else came up you with it, and, it. And, and when uh, i tried it yeah you wanted more right you know yes. and that, that that's no good so uh, <laughs> you think so yeah. I, I, well one of the beatles it might have been mccartney but they talked about coming off it was so damn tough it, it's it yeah. finished and yeah. that was me yeah no that's it did you yeah, ever get to hang me. with the beatles at the, at the, no no never no. but i tell you what the highlight one of them in my life my daughter jessica and i were at a football game paul mccartney was there oh. and he came over and we said hello and he turned to jessica and he said hi and she just stood and looked <laughs> and she started staying shaking and isn't she it unreal crying. to meet wonderful. paul mccartney wonderful it really is i mean you know, I, I get to interview a lot of people, and and it's exciting to be here with you. And and but Paul McCartney oh. sat down on that couch. You're like, that's the guy who wrote every freaking song. That's fantastic. Giants. They, they, they're talking about a giant in the in our time and for all time. I heard a great story about you, and tell me if this is true. That um, I don't know where you were. You were at some restaurant or something, and Mick Jagger was there, 
and uh, he's at a table with two women or something. And you walk over, and the two women left Mick Jagger and went off with you. Is that could that possibly be true? No, it's not. <laughs> no, that wouldn't. No, out of respect for Mr. Jagger, I really? first place, Did you ever meet that Mick wouldn't Jagger? make a play. No, I, that's I tell you, I have that on good authority. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe you were on coke and you don't remember. I told you, you I don't make a play in somebody else's lady to start with. <laughs> I'm not looking. No, they for got trouble. up and left. They wanted you. Yeah, well, I could see physically why they'd make that change. <laughs> <laughs> can that can that can that ruin? Can that ruin a football player, though? I mean, when Which? you get to the level, after you win Super Bowl three and you are Broadway Joe Namath. And by the way, we should tell people, you got that. That was when you were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, you were posing on Broadway, and then one of the guys started calling you Broadway Joe, right? It's that simple. Before my first uh, meeting with the team, with the players and all, uh, Mr. Sonny Werblin, David A. Werblin, who came from Music Corporation of America. Okay. Back here, when the government said you guys need to split up out there, that conglomerate, uh, he came back here and bought an interest. The five guys bought the New York Titans, right? Two hundred grand apiece. They put up one million dollars. Mm. And Mister Werblin, having lived in California and been in the industry, the show business industry, believed in stars selling tickets. Right. He organized getting together with Sports Illustrated. He started promoting me. So he loved the whole Broadway Joe thing and the white shoes. Yes, he insisted, hey, star sell tickets. You right. Know, get to know the players. So Make smart. Them, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, instead of like keeping everybody on the same level, let, hey, we got a star here. We got a guy who's uh, breaking out of the pack. Which the veterans on the team certainly didn't approve of to start with. Right. You got to prove to the guys that you can own up, that you can play. Did it make it harder for you to be the QB of that team because some guys are resenting your salary, resenting your fame, and then like, uh, you know, you, you're the guy they got to listen to. It was a little more challenging, but it was challenging going from Pennsylvania to Alabama and, and kind of uh, making a, my way into Alabama, too. Explain to me something about football, because I, I don't know. I, I, I never played a sport. The, the idea that your strength, and I, again, I'm, I'm a novice, but you're out on the field. You got this whole thing going on. W was it that you had that ability to read the defense on the fly? That you could say to your team while in a huddle, hey, these guys are going to line up a certain way. Are you calling plays by yourself without the coach? When I was with my dad watching television, Otto Graham and the Cleveland Browns playing in 1950, 1952, I was calling plays, even though it was just pass, run, pass. You could see it. I I felt it. I was growing with my dad. I watched football. What was your percentage in terms of how many times you were right when you would watch that? I don't know. It was good. I mean, I mean, it was good enough. And but I was taking part in it at that age. Is that how you win a Super Bowl? Because you had that unique ability to mm -hmm. see that defense? I mean, the fact that you can see that is like a superpower, is it not? Repetition. One of the first rules of learning, if not, right? Practice, 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 whatever. It was my life. That's all I was concerned with. I mentioned St. Mary's School, whatever. I couldn't. The longest time dragged in the afternoon, me wanting to get outside. I wasn't thinking about school. I wanted to go play. If you can read a team that well, why didn't, no, why, why didn't someone say to you, we want you to coach our team? Why didn't oh, they? That, that opportunity, coaching was there. That it was. was an opportunity. But again, I am not that kind of animal. I've watched coaches. 
I played 13 years professionally, and I watched coaches and how they live their life. They're consumed with it. The hours that they put in. It's numerous you. hours. You're not no, that guy. I wasn't willing to do that. And then Coach Holtz and I, he asked me on the airplane, sat down, Joe. You know, we make out a plan. He used to have sheets. And the way I filled mine out, he was impressed with that. And he asked me, he says, you going to be a coach, huh? I said, no, sir. And that, 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 that is not me. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And let's face do. it, you had opportunity, show business, movies. I mean, you know, you, you were, you were a star. Why well, did, why did, um, you did Monday Night Football, right? Yes. Uh, first for, game we did. Oh, I, as a, in a booth. Yes. Yes. But the first one that was ever played. Yes. Also. That's right. Yeah. That was you. Yeah. But in the booth. <laughs> us. We did it. Yeah. Why didn't it work out? Like, why didn't that become your thing? Being it, in, I didn't like it. You didn't. It wasn't you me. Left. I didn't have enough sense. To understand how important it could be or how big it could be. And I did not like that life. Do you regret like, that? Uh, no, I don't regret it because I know it wasn't me. Now, right. uh, given the opportunity again through the change, I could handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I could handle it. I was I, uh, critiquing players in a negative fashion, even though the negative fashion would be truthful, wasn't me. I encouraged my teammates. I messed up. I needed encouragement, not to be hammered. So being over in the, the booth, head. being in the booth means you got to critique. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. You got to critique, critique controversially too. I mean, yes. you know, it doesn't have to be right. It just has to be. I feel that's why. Interesting. That's why Howard. About. That's yeah. why yeah. Howard Cosell was so great because he would just he took an opinion. You know, I don't even know if he believed it, but he had an opinion. That's why I said yeah. he was the best. Yes, because the fans. There was no middle-of-the-road fans when it came to Howard Cosell. You <laughs> right. either hated him, disliked him, or loved him. Where did you stand? You loved him. Uh, because well, had, I liked him. Except, because he had an opinion. Except, yeah, except when we're having dinner one night, he started talking about somebody, and he calling him a bum, this, that, and the other. I said, Howard, don't do that. That's right. a buddy of mine. And I said, and would you say that to his face <laughs> <laughs> no he was we, probably a big pussy we were drinking at the time yeah. too mr mrs Werblin were there we did. by the way you were in the booth with frank gifford and oj now it, were you friendly with oj did you know this guy outside I, I, of the booth i got to know oj yes uh socially and uh we didn't hang out we never hung out uh in fact howard and oj that's where I first met OJ. They came in the Bachelors Three one night. And that was the first. Bachelors Three was that uh, you had a bar that you yeah. said, "Hey, if I'm going out drinking and, and partying, I might as well do it in my own place." Lexington Avenue, sixty first and second. Was that Lexington. a success financially? Yes. Well, financially, well, we made some money. Yes, yeah, but I people mean, would we, come we in to party with you, right? Well, I could go my own place too. Yeah, you know? it was pretty comfortable, and yes. Uh, that's a lot of fun. In fact, we did that up in Boston as yeah. well, in Fort yeah. Lauderdale as well, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We changed it to Joe Namus, but uh, and OJ, yeah. uh, OJ and Howard were hanging out, and they uh, they introduced. They came themselves. in, yeah. yeah, the Bachelors, and uh, that's where I first met OJ with Howard there. Yeah. When you when you see like you fast forward to you know the car chase when they're following OJ, you're probably sitting there, holy. This is crazy. That's, that's the guy? That's, that's OJ. That's OJ. <laughs> that's OJ. Uh, no, it wasn't crazy because yeah. I did work with OJ for a year. and uh, Hothead? Uh, not with me. And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, I never saw him really get angry or whatever, but uh, he had his style. 
Well, you're saying, in other words, you saw things in him that would indicate a guy who might go off uh, and do something stupid. Well, you know what? If, uh, I still try to live by if you don't have something good to say about somebody, try not to say it at all. <laughs> was he mistreating yeah. women? Is that the thing you saw? Well, I maybe, uh, you know, I, I spoke of uh, loyalty to a woman or a guy ah. when you're together. And, uh, you know, that can be breached a bit. And uh, that kind of drops your credentials a little bit. Can I read between the lines that you saw a married guy hitting on women? And maybe even when you were with a woman, maybe hitting on your woman. No. Never. No, I, I wasn't with a woman right. in his company. Right. <laughs> yeah, leave the women out because OJ's here. Yeah, I, OJ's I, here. Everybody I, get rid of I their didn't women. didn't need anybody else. No, no, I know. I mean, that, that wasn't it. It the, was just that we didn't hang. But the NFL had a problem with you with Bachelors 3, right? They were like, hey, man, you have to divest of these uh, commercial interests. We're not going to let you invest in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a restaurant bar kind of situation. No, it was undesirable people, uh, uh, starting with Italian names you know the jewish names were all right but then again we knew they played too yeah uh but no but <laughs> w w one of my partners was uh Venucci was his real name right. and it changed the van but uh <laughs> They, they, uh, were they, they were, afraid of organized crime somehow getting a hold of you while and you then were a there's a problem yeah supposedly mm. and uh, people came into the nightclub that were uh quote undesirable people because of the way they conducted themselves in everyday life maybe in right. business somewhere and uh the league had uh security people mm. come in and was looking around and saw somebody i see so they 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 discouraged they told you no more you cannot be around those people i'm at a dinner howard with the president of the new york jets at the time phil islin and we get asked to come up on the stage behind the curtain and the commissioner of the league, Mr. Pete Rosell's there, and he tells me and Mr. Islin, our president, that they want me to divest my interest in Bachelors 3 tomorrow. Oh. Mm. Or I'm going to be suspended. Oof. Oh. I, why? You know, and they say undesirable people. Well, who? I don't know who they're talking about, and I honest to God didn't. I didn't do anything to break any rules other than allow people to come into the and store. And they did suspend you because you didn't uh, divest right away. No, I retired. You did. What I did oh. is I was angry and hurt and uh, I pissed off. And uh, it wasn't pissed right. In, pissed off in the sense of hey, all it, these guys are allowed to make a living. Why can't I own a, a, an establishment, a restaurant? It wasn't right because right. I wasn't betting on games i wasn't giving tips on games because that's I wasn't... my point don't you feel that even today in football let's be honest it is a bit high paid indentured slavery in the sense that like you only have you have these owners they've got the system they've got it rigged their way they'll tell you how to live they'll tell you how to do and you guys are the entertainers and they're sitting there bossing you around i could see why you'd get pissed off no, you know, no one's twisting our arms to play. You learn no, as but, a kid, it's tough. Right. You got to want to play. But I'm talking about the business now. You should be allowed to own a the, restaurant. This is why this sport's going to go on from now on. Professional football, it's not going away because of traumatic brain injuries or because of the physiology of the body's not designed for that kind of contact. There's always the young man that's willing to pay that price and take that chance. 
to get that remuneration to move up in the world a little bit. Would you tell a young kid today to go into football or is it too damn dangerous with the concussions and everything? You've had concussions, true? I wouldn't tell a kid not to. Let me put it that way. If a guy has a dream, if he really has a passion and he wants to do it, yes. I wouldn't want my son to go there because of the head injuries that we all had. How many concussions have you had? I had a minimum of five. Wow. Jeez. That, that's what well, I'm talking about. Lights out, smelling salts and whatever. Jeez. And because I saw a teammate of mine deteriorating over a period of four years, along with three other teammates of mine and I were at our football camp, our friend came in. Hey, well, they did a special. CBS did a special. And I tell you, he was an offensive lineman, David Herman. And he'd come in and he'd tell, Winston, John, myself, uh, how he was so afraid of what he was going through, his mind. He was losing it. He'd forget things. Mm. He didn't, it scared him. He'd come in again the next football camp, worse. Mm. The next time, his son's sitting with him. I saw how this fear was in this tough son of boy, and he had a fear going on. So it dawned on me, I said, I need to find out about myself. It behooves me, Joe, to find out about myself, and it behooves me to do it for my children, too. So I called the hospital down in Florida, and I talked to the doctors at the local hospital. And I went over, met with them, and I took a brain scan. Now, with that spec scan, they could see the cells in the left side of my head from the forehead back here not getting blood. Mm. Wow. They were darker than the rest of the other cells. Which is not normal. <laughs> no, that's right. And so uh, we started with hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And after 40 dives of hyperbaric oxygen, oxygen therapy, those dark cells started to lighten up a bit. Really? We took another spec scan and cognitive test. Then I went back. I took another 40 dives. We came back, took another spec scan. That brain looked normal all over. No kidding. Took another uh, cognitive test, went back, did another 40 dives. I did 120 dives in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And then two years later, I took another spec scan. A year after that, I started in 2012, and my brain is healthy. Why is this not a bigger deal? What you're saying right now could help uh, plenty of millions players. upon millions. millions. The veterans alone that get concussions, yes, explosions. The children that fall off bicycles and hit their heads. Because what you're saying is that somehow through the concussion, there's an oxygen deprivation, and if those cells can get the oxygen to it, there'll be a repair through the and recovery and recovery it's actually yeah. you know hyperbaric oxygen therapy has been used a long time it's not taught what is in it many universities what do you do you lay it's down pure oxygen yeah in a pressurized unit in a tank going to an atmosphere meaning a depth where there's pressure like you know you go into a swimming pool you get down to six feet eight feet and your ears start to you feel pop, the pressure yeah. Yeah. You go to an atmosphere and a half, which is about 16 feet down, that, that amount of pressure. With that pressure combined with pure oxygen, pure oxygen going through your system. Jeez. It's factually regenerating cells. Is it the painful to do? Is no. There, no. If you're claustrophobic, if you have a tendency uh, to be claustrophobic, I had to come out my first two dives. You were flipped out. 
Uh, I was in there. It's a clear tube. There's different kind of units. There's even a unit the size of this room, Howard. And Israel is a leader in this. Germany's a leader. Japan's a leader. Have you Canada. gone to the NFL and said, guys, you guys got to go look into this hyperbaric stuff? I mean, have you have you tried to? Uh, is there research on this thing? Yes, yes, yes. And you've done that. Yes. And yet you're being ignored. You know, uh, I don't know that there's a stadium in our country that has a hyperbaric oxygen unit in there. It's almost admitting uh, that uh, the sport is uh, damaging. Right. I believe the players to this at this time that sign their deals and go to play in college even take on the uh, understanding that there's that potential danger. We didn't know that that was a potential danger. You seem like you'd be a very wise mentor for a guy uh, starting out who's playing in the NFL. Do any of these young guys call you and say, Joe, you know, you got through it. You, you, you led your life in a way that, you know, you've seen all the downside and you've seen the upside. Can you give me some tips on how to handle this? I've been lucky. I've talked to these young guys, man. I, John Dockery and I, we had a, a camp for children, 8 to 18, both boys and girls, for 46 straight summers. Wow. You know, and yeah, we utilized John's idea to use football, the sport, to teach the children about life about owning up to responsibilities, about relying on one another. You know, so you do just, mentor some uh, some of these kids? Well, yeah, but yeah. not uh, not professionally. I, I would think, though, that like some football player right now would say, hey, I'm going to call Joe Namath and ask him for his advice. They have a better shot at things today than ever before. At Coach Saban at University of Alabama, for example, the Crimson Tide, they get these children with their parents. They sit down and talk. It's not just for the next four years. This is for your lifetime. We want to ed educate you, get you disciplined to learn to own up to responsibilities for the future. This football business doesn't last a lifetime. Yeah, you know that. I mean, you got to you got to hustle when you get out of it. Unless you go into coaching and then it's yeah. so competitive. But you too. weren't set up financially when you left football, oh, right? No. You had to go hustle a living. I mean, well, I had you. I had a good start, uh, but I like to feel productive, Howard. Right. I, I get frightened, uh, not frightened. Uh, I want to feel productive. I need to feel productive. I need to feel like I'm still growing. Joe, in the in the new book, you do you know this this new book is called All the Way: My Life in Four Quarters. It's available, of course, wherever books are sold. And I, and, you know, it is novel that you went back and watched Super Bowl three, like for the, you know, except for, I mean, I don't know how many years it's been. So you saw the entire game and then you let your mind wander and you started to talk about this and that and the other thing, because you say, in a way, I didn't want to write a linear book. I just want to watch the game, talk about what's going on in the game, talk about my life and what it reminds me of. It's a novel way to do it. And you even approach a, a difficult subject was when you were at the game, I don't know what game it was, where you're talking to that female reporter and you said, Susie, 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 Bowie, Susie yeah. I, I want to make love to you or whatever the hell. I don't no, know. No, wasn't you, it, what, it, I, I wanted to make start. love to her, yes. Well, you know. I, <laughs> yeah. a very good looking woman. Don't put your words in his I just mouth. Wanted, right. I, I, I tell you, I was working with the Jets. Uh, we had a day at the stadium starting in the morning and I was drinking wine starting in the morning. And you had, and you had been sober for 13 years before 13 that. 13 and a half years. That was during your marriage. You were sober. But well, that's whenever I was challenged by my former wife. Mm -hmm. uh, she told me I had a problem and I disagreed and she wanted me to go get help. And the idea of checking in or saying, I got a problem, frightened me so much, I told her, no, 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 I'll stop. 
Is it hard for you to do that because you're Joe Namath and you don't want to be in a program or go to a meeting and have people hear your personal uh, situation and your personal, like, you, you, in a way, you're paranoid that someone will sit there and talk about you in a group meeting or something like that? No, it was, I was afraid that I didn't have control of myself. I had to prove that I could. Hardest so, thing you ever did? Stopping drinking? I don't know about that. Overcoming some physical injuries and uh, my Uncle Joe dying, uh, that was hard. That hit me hard. I man, for a couple of days I was all right. Then I broke down at lunchtime in junior high. I'm sitting there at lunchtime with the guys and I'm thinking, and it just literally broke down. That was hard. I never did that before. But when you love to drink and then your wife says to you, you've got a problem. First reaction is, hey, I don't have a problem. You have a problem. You know, this is me. No, I didn't put it on her. I, I, I did. I just didn't think that I had a problem. And uh, so I told her she asked me to check in and get help. And that scared me. That frightened me right there. So. And when someone says to you, all right, so then quit for a month. That's when you go, oh, I don't want to do that. Right. That's when you start to realize it never came up prior to that. Wow. Uh, no when kidding. She challenged me with that. Then uh, I said, OK, well, oh, first of all, I went to get help with a psychologist uh, and you went uh, to therapy. therapist yes and uh after each and only for like three sessions and after each session i'd stop on uh, uh wilshire boulevard driving back because it was out there past the federal building and stop at a liquor store buy a pint and drink it on the way back home <laughs> uh, yeah, this laugh, is good you therapy did you see you well, see what, this did, is me i didn't did, think my did, wife did, you don't have a problem i didn't did, know did, she yeah. <laughs> but does, does the uh the therapy bring up a dredge up some some very highly personal things that like you just can't handle so your way of handling it is just a drink like was it was it mind-blowing no, to go into therapy no i was addicted to sugar addiction can come into play or addicted to that lifestyle you gotta remember starting out in new york actually in a professional right. level it was a part of my life right uh regularly and none of us knew so about how, addiction so how do you do it how do you just go did you go cold turkey did yeah you just say that's it yes I'm what done. i did is i quit I, I ate a lot of ice cream and a diet soda. I'd, I'd, I'd get ice cream, the most sugar in the ice cream at all was Hagen dazs and I'd yes. mix in diet root beer. And I'd have that at night. And Way I, to ruin good ice cream. And I lost 30 pounds in the first year. What? Even though I was eating that ice cream. Oh because you had been drinking so much that it was putting uh, more calories into you. And when you're drinking, what are you doing? You're sitting on your bottom most right. of the time. Yeah. You see, I had a combination of sitting and round and doing. I went from 217 to 187. Wow. In one year. Eating ice cream. Eating ice soda. cream every yeah. night. Wow. Isn't it that was amazing? A trade, yeah. It was amazing. And I've maintained that weight since, you know. It, so why after 13 years you get, you, you divorced? Why that, go back to drinking? I've found an excuse. Right. See, you got that mind, you got the brain, you got that voice in your brain, uh, and I got a name from him with my education. Uh, I did check in after the Susie Colbert situation, which I knew nothing. I did not know that I had done that. Wow, you were I got, blasted. I got a call the next morning, and uh, my dearest friend told me what I had done and what I'd said. And uh, I, I really... Wow. You know, felt bad behaving that way. Uh, and I 
called Susie. I asked, let's please get Susie's number. I want to talk with her and apologize. Right. And I did. And I called her and she was terrific. She said, oh, Joe, that's all right. But she said, you, you know, you've got to recover. You've got to get strong and, and deal with this. I said, yes, Susie, thank did, you. Did you stop drinking after that? Yeah. Yeah. I went to, I uh, checked in to a place. This time you went. Yeah. yeah. I went and got an education. Right. Is what it is, the education. Yeah. I went and got an education. And from the education, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And this is where I learned about that voice in my head that tells me to this day, once in a while, just a glass of red wine. <laughs> what do you call that guy? What do you call that voice? Slick. Slick. <laughs> so you say, do you talk to your brain? Do you go, hey, Slick? I, oh, yes, yeah. sir. You know, I can hear it. Having a name for him. And I didn't come up with it. A man in Alcala, hey, hey, one of the guys said, Joe, that's slick. Yeah. You know, that's, we got a name for him. My sponsor might have been the guy that told but me. Isn't that. that the greatest technique when you think about it? When if you sit down and talk to your brain, call in a name, whatever that child is in you that wants that drink, and you say, hey, you're not going to beat me today. I'm going to kick your ass. I know it works. It works. It works for me. And I can't yeah. talk about everyone else, but I recognize right off because I found myself in here. Well, well, you know. Hell, a glass of wine? That's not the end. That's and even the doctors say a glass of wine is good for you. You <laughs> yeah, got all kinds of know. reasons. But then I remember what I learned <laughs> and that voice, and I said, that's slick. Is it weird for Joe Namath to go to an AA meeting? I, I still am hung up on this because you are revealing yourself. You know, you're telling personal things. That's part of the process. Do you worry that the other people are just going to, you know, not squeal on you? Or? Howard, I've met more people around this country that have come up to me in airports and grocery stores, amusement parks, and they'll come up and they'll whisper, Hey, Joe, I'm a friend of Bill. I see you don't have to say that, low man. got to be proud. Hey, good, nice going, because I know how tough it can be, or we know we've done something, we're doing something. By don't the be way, whispering. I, I would be rude of me not to ask this question. I mean, you're here in New York, right? You don't live in New York anymore. You, you no. Yeah, right? So you're here in New York, you're in the Big Apple. What is Slick up to last night? Did Slick try to uh, <laughs> Did seduce? Did Slick come out? Did you have to have a conversation with him? No, I had a quiet night last night. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah he crossed my mind because in the hotel room, <laughs> yeah. there's that there's bottle of red wine. wine. Yes. I go, well, the complimentary one. There's that, that the fruit thing, yeah. you know, and, and Slick, there's that bottle of red and wine. And did Slick say, Joe, get this fucking bottle out of here? Or did he say, let's open <laughs> no, it up and take no, a drink? I can, I can, I can deal with it. I know. I go out. We drink. People drink at tables, at lunch, at dinner, whatever. I'm I'm in the crowd. And what's going on now? That does not bother me. Are you a single man now? Are you yes. Man? You're, you're single. Yeah. You lonely? Uh, sometimes for the company of a lady. But no, I have a few dogs at home and the house next door where we have two dogs and a cat. We have, I have the animals around. You have friends? I have friends, yes. Uh, the so, kids no, are all And around. I like, there's a side of me that needs quiet mm. time. You know that about yourself. I know that about myself. I have a friend of mine that comes to visit me from Alabama, and he wants to stay in the house. I, I have an apartment a block away, walking distance. You got to stay there. I need my <laughs> private time. I need, honest to God. But you are dating. If I want to date Joe Namath, I mean, not me. I'm saying a woman. Are you I thought open? you were are you, asking for a date. Although I would date you. 
uh, my wife might have a problem with that, but what, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're not dating, right? That's I'm it. 76 years old, and the thought has crossed my mind, what does a broad see in you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, well, wait a minute, what is she going to see in me, man? I think you're delightful. You know, you're real, a delightful. I know I'm virile. I know I'm ready. I know Are I'm you, ready. You I'm can get it up. Joe, yeah, Joe there's no what? problem in that area, right? No, 76, you can, you're ready to go. Yes. 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 But the uh, meantime, uh, when is the last time I, I, Joe named it? It's hard to make a play. You Joe, see? Yes. <laughs> because a play I, I know, really, you yeah. don't want to make the play. You can't read I, defense I, anymore. I, 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 I was tempted. I tried to make a play on uh, someone I met a couple of weeks back, and uh, what happened? Well, You're we're Joe in two, two different towns, and all. Uh, she did have somebody uh, that she's uh, dating uh, now. And she so let you I know. She said, it. "Joe, yeah. uh, look, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing somebody right yeah. now." So, yeah. when is the last time the great one, Joe Namath, made love? I mean, you, have you gone years now? Is this going? Uh, yeah, this is insane. Yeah, You're Joe Namath. Well, uh, it's been years. It, and you're okay with well, it. Well, he's already had like 500 women probably over the course of a lifetime. I, you know, it's a clumsy topic that I never like talking <laughs> about with the, the ladies because maybe because I had a sister. Right. And maybe because I heard guys talking about their escapades with uh -huh. ladies the day before. Could the you date? Before. Could you date a 76 year old woman? No. No. There's no way. No, I, you know what? No, because I have a sexual drive, you know, and, and, uh, it, it, it would, uh, I, I haven't met a 76 year old woman I could date. If I, I, I would hope that I could. It would date, be wonderful. But I, again, it would depend there, on the there's woman. that side that is alone. I mean, alone, the, the, the quietness, the down, no, I get the, that. the lack of responsibility, I guess, or something. You got hobbies? Along what there. do you do all day? You got a hobby? I have uh, children close.